once we sign you up, we're going to keep you. And the only way we keep you is to make sure that every time that agreement comes up for renewal, you're like, yeah, this is me. The value the value there. we get is exponentially higher than the size of the check we wrote. Welcome to Subscriptions Scale, sponsored by Rebar Technology. Join us each week to hear from industry leaders in the subscription space, share their best tips and stories, and learn how you can up-level your subscription business today. Hello, listeners, and welcome to another episode of Subscription Scaled. I'm your host, Nick Frederick. With me today is Chuck Frydenborg, who is the CEO of MarketMuse. Chuck, welcome to the show. Hi, Nick. Thank you very much. Delighted to be here. We're excited to have you and excited to learn more here. But for those that don't know, tell us a little bit more about MarketMuse. MarketMuse helps our clients understand what it means to be an expert on a particular topic. And the reason that's relevant to them is because as they are writing content, they want to they want to accomplish two goals. The first is to write content that's going to be relevant to their target audience, that's going to engage that audience, and ideally lead them to take whatever actions the creator desires, which led them to create that content in the first place. Mm -hmm. But equally as important, the content needs to be able to be found. And what we do is we enable our clients to have that expertise come off the page in a way which is not only recognized by its audience, but is recognized by the search engine algorithms. So when a relevant search is done, that content's going to show up. It's going to show up on page one. It's going to engage the reader. It's going to inform them, and it's going to lead them to consume more content about from that company. So why can't I just write on my topic and just publish it? Like, why can't my content get found? Like, what prevents that from happening? Well, the search engine algorithms are looking to inform their audience. And the way they do that is to create criteria in the algorithms to ensure that the content provider knows what they're talking about. So if you go to write about a particular issue, let's say iPhones, and you've never written about an iPhone before, search exactly. engines probably don't think you're an expert. So you have to demonstrate demonstrated expertise and topical authority on a particular subject to drive performance. And what we enable our clients to do is to understand what topics they have authority, they have created authority for that represent let's say, low-hanging fruit, where they can create content and have that content perform in a short period of time. But also, again, once that's there, have it engage their audience in a way that drives the behaviors they want. So before we dive a little bit more into kind of how you guys make that happen, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you found yourself at MarketMuse. I found myself in MarketMuse because actually three years before I joined MarketMuse and early 2016, I had decided to make a pivot in my career. Up until then, I had led sales teams in annually renewable SaaS businesses. And I had most notably Gartner. And then after that, for six years, was at a stone. And at that point, I was contacted by a content optimization software company, uh, actually based in Berlin, called Acrolinks. And they were 
they were looking to get into the enterprise space and they were attracted to me, frankly, by my history being able to create and scale high-performing sales teams. I had never sold into marketing. I had never sold into content, but their message to me was, you have the skill and experience that we're looking for, and you can learn all the industry-specific stuff you need to know. And when mm-hmm. I looked at content, I saw, I saw a space that was just scratching the surface of what it could be. Nick, I remember reading, reading an article that said there had been more content created between 2010 and 2016 than had been created in the history of time before 2010. Just to highlight when I say exponentially more, the, just the scale of what was going on, I recognized that as a growth industry. I had a, a wonderful experience, was there for three years but had had an opportunity to market Muse at the end of 2018. And what I saw in market Muse was differentiated functionality that enabled them to solve a unique set of business issues in a growth space that I thought was going to scale. And I eagerly jumped on board. Well, I'm interested. You said 2010 to 2016 outpaced all of history before it. That was now six years ago. So what's the state of where things are right now? I think what we're finding now is that content is only going to continue to scale. But as opposed to just a focus on what I just spoke about, which is volume, it's more now a focus on business impact. And I mentioned that I started my career at Gartner. I have a story I tell from time to time that I think really highlights the impact of how content is consumed now and how that's changed. Yeah. You know, back in the day, selling in the, I'll date myself, selling in the late 90s at Gartner, it was a pretty good time to be a salesperson. Like really? if you wanted information <laughs> on Gartner, you had to go, God, I hate this. I really don't want to do this. But you had to pick up the phone and say, can you please put me in touch with a salesperson? Because there was no widely right. adopted internet. Think about what that did in terms of empowering the salesperson. It gave that salesperson complete control over the entire pre-sale journey. If you got pricing and packaging information, it was because I gave it to you. If you got case studies, references, testimonials, I had hand-selected those to pick the ones that I knew would be most relevant to you. And you largely made a decision that was informed by the information that I chose to share with you. Contrast that with now. I read a a research piece about a year ago that said that IT decision makers or product or service are two-thirds to three-quarters of the way through their decision-making process before they reach out to that short list of vendors for the first time. Nick, what are they Uh doing? They're going up and they are consuming whatever publicly available content you've published. And again, this is just for a point of emphasis. So if every piece of content that can be consumed is not consistent with your brand voice, if it doesn't accurately depict your products and services, if it doesn't create the perception of thought leadership and expertise that your buyer is looking for, you are losing the majority of your pipeline 
before you even know it exists because you can't point them towards the best content. Wow. That's amazing. It's almost like there's this whole nother layer on top of the sales funnel that's invisible to us that all of your content is putting them into that you're not even going to see them on the next phase, which is where they make contact unless they can get through that one first. If your salespeople and your BDRs are sitting there going, wow, we don't have enough opportunities to fill our funnel, it's your content. Yeah, that's amazing. For those that are looking to, maybe they're already creating the content. In fact, they probably are, but they're looking to optimize it. Tell us a little bit more about how Market Muse does that and why that's so important. Sure. So content creation doesn't start with somebody sitting at a keyboard and saying, okay, I'm going to write about this topic. It starts with a bunch of people in a room and they're looking at each other going, what are we going to write about? Typically, those decisions are made very subjectively. What we do is we inject data into that process so that those decisions are fully informed. So the first thing that happens when a client joins MarketMuse is we load their content inventory into the MarketMuse suite, our platform. That enables them to look at their content through the first time through our functionality. And what we're doing is we're evaluating not only the individual pieces of content, but their entire inventory to understand the topical authority that they have amassed. So that enables them to glean immediate insights, such Mm -hmm. as, hey, this is a piece of content that given who we are and the content we've created, it's written about the right thing, but it's not performing. We can highlight for them exactly why it's not performing because it's not optimized and give them very prescriptive guidance as to how to optimize that content. Okay. We can also identify for them gaps in their content inventory where for whatever reason, there are topics that are relevant to what they've created thus far, where we can tell them with a high degree of predictability that if they write comprehensively on that topic, that content will perform. That content marketing team, that content strategy team that's going through that content planning exercise, Mm -hmm. what they're looking for, those quick wins, that low-hanging fruit They don't want to know about, okay, if you write 60 pieces of content on this in the next 18 months, you can perform. They are looking for where they can get the biggest lift from a performance standpoint and fill out their content calendar based on that guidance. Wow. So does it automatically load in all of that content? Can I say, hey, here's my LinkedIn content. Here's my website content. Here's where I posted on other third-party sites. Like, Where does it get it from? We pull from their content inventories. And yes, we can do inventory subsets and things like that. But for the most part, what we're doing is we're pulling off those inventory, that entire content inventory. We're evaluating it. And based on those evaluations, we're then providing that guidance. So once they make those decisions, then our value prop shifts from what should we be writing about to how do we write? that content in a way where that or improve existing content so that it will be optimized. And that guidance gets very prescriptive. It'll be, you know, this is just, for example, a piece of content on this subject should be 2000 words long. It should cover this set of subtopics. And this is the depth with which you need to cover each of those subtopics. And when we're suggesting that they introduce a single concept multiple times, 
We'll even provide them what we call variances, which are different contextual approaches to take, which will engage the audience and not be repetitive. We will, and this sounds pretty simple, but we will list the questions that they need to answer because somebody that does that search, this is the information they're looking for and uh -huh. may need to be sure that the content they're creating is aligned with the intent of the reader. And then we can even get into technical SEO recommendations, you know, okay. taking a quick look at their content inventory, recommending not only internal pieces of content that they should link to, but also external non-competitive pieces of content that will also enhance their topical authority. And okay. this is given to the writer in a way which doesn't do the writing for them, but guides their efforts. You know, so often when we talk to companies for the first time, the writers will get, will have an immediate reaction of, well, wait, this is kind of my job. But what we ask them to understand and their experience proves it out is what we're doing is enabling them to spend more of their time writing through introducing efficiencies in the process, mm -hmm. such as squeezing down the research time that it takes to write that content. So yeah. our selling point to the clients is not only identify the right topics and then execute on the applicable content, but it's also driving efficiency in that content creation process so you can increase your content cadence. So it sounds like it's really giving you a playbook there. Like yeah. from beginning to end, here's your area, here's the type of topics, here's the questions, here's how the way you need to be answering them. Like it just lays it all out for you. Yeah, and we depict it really as a cycle, which is content planning, execution, measurement and evaluation, content planning. You continue to iterate, right? This is our specialty is organic, evergreen content. It is a continuous cyclical process. So then who are your customers that are going out and signing up? Are they agencies, freelance writers? Are they the marketing department at a SaaS company? Who are they? I love it. All the above. You know, when we talk about the explosion of content creation, if you can be a, a solopreneur, you can have, I mean, my sister, my sister owns a retail store in Sedona, Arizona. And through my experience is embracing content. We have Fortune 500, Fortune 100 clients, any company, any organization that is creating content at scale is a company for whom we can deliver value. And okay. how we deliver that value really depends on their size and, and their content goals. Well, content, of course, makes a heck of a lot of sense to SaaS companies, especially those selling B2B. You want to demonstrate expertise in that particular domain and especially their vertical, right? So that makes all the sense in the world. But when you see it going into other areas, like your sister's retail store, why is that content now important to them? Well, I mean, for a small company like that, I mean, my sister or anybody, right? You know, you make an investment, you don't have a big chain, you create a one store or couple store retail business, you got to drive traffic, right. right? You can go to street fairs and put up signs or billboards, or you can create content that's relevant to that geography and the target market that you're going after and not say, come buy stuff from me but show them that you understand them and you understand their needs. And in informing them, they're going to think about you as an expert on that topic. And that will give them the comfort to check it out and buy. Yeah. 
Right? It's about you relationships. Know, I don't think that ever changes. Right. Just, well, you know, that target. I've had so many conversations on the show about how expensive marketing is. Just whatever channel you're going through, you know, the typical Facebook, Google ads, you know, that route, influencer marketing and then billboards and other types of advertising, even conference sponsorships and things like that. They're just becoming so expensive. They're almost cost prohibitive. Do you think that's putting then the value in content and content marketing now becoming on par or maybe even more important than that type of advertising? You know, I think all those vehicles or forums you mentioned for engaging your target audience, they're all proven and all viable. But I do think content differentiates itself because of content being accessible 24-7, because of the opportunity it provides in a non honestly, non-pressure, non-sales environment, being able to yeah. become an informed buyer. I do think that content has distinguished itself as a way of qualifying the buyer, right? Buyer. When you have, I mean, I was doing a compare and contrast from 25 years ago before. One of the things that was kind of not great about that is a lot of times people were just curious, right? They were just mm -hmm. kicking the tires, right? Mm -hmm. that, that's not what we see anymore. Yeah. What we see are, are individuals or organizations that have taken the time to educate themselves and work on a short list and understand the capabilities of those providers as meeting their requirements. And I think content, what content does is deliver a qualified potential buyer to a company in a way that none of those other forums do. All you have to do is talk to somebody who's at a conference and they're giving away 8,000 t-shirts. And That's exactly right. Well, that was kind of going to be my follow-up question there. You talk about these different engagement channels working together. Anybody can go out, throw up a website, and then start buying Google or Facebook ads, right? That can start directing traffic to your site. If there's no testimonials or and there's no content on the site, like blog posts or even in external sources, do you think you're kind of to a certain degree, wasting your dollars, because I think a lot of the buyers now are really looking not just for a solution, but they're looking for authority. If I go to these guys, they really do know what they're talking about here. They're not just some business that got thrown up overnight. You know, I can answer your question and actually expand it to go beyond paid. If all you have is paid with no substance behind it, you're going to get traffic. What happens then? Does your content engage them in form? If there's no substance there, they're going to go away. And what I was going to say is I, I could expand that beyond just paid to the use of keywords and keyword stuffing. I mean, the yeah. search engine algorithms have become more refined, but there are still ways to go about this where if you just need a short lift, honestly, you don't need market news. You can just, you can go to SEO data provider and get a bunch of keywords and, and stuff your little heart out. But going back to that two-pronged goal before, making your content visible to its target audience. Yeah, that's huge. But what happens then? And I think that is what distinguishes our buyer. It's the content creator for whom what happens then really matters. So let's talk about content in the context of subscription companies. And I think, you know, one of the things that kind of differentiates, I mean, everybody wants repeat customers, right? Transactional or subscription, but with subscription, 
the way you keep that customer that enrolled in your product, paying monthly, annual, or whatever, is you have to continue to engage them, right? Through the product, through your content, through your expertise, or just getting them to continuously interact. So how do you view content differently in that context of a subscription company that needs to continually engage with their customers? Well, I don't know that I would limit this to content. You know, I've been, I mean, we talked about my background a bit. I have been in annually based SaaS companies my entire, since before they called them annually based right. SaaS. You know, back at Gartner, we did annual subscriptions in the mid 90s. And I think that's important. It, it's not just a go to market strategy, right? It changes an interaction between a provider and a buyer from transactionally based to relationship-based. And whether it's content or anything else, when you as a business or an industry go down the path of an annually renewable subscription model, you are committing to two things. You are committing to a relationship and you are committing to delivering continuous value. It's not a transaction. It's not project-based. You know, mm-hmm. we are, and I, and I I suspect there'll probably be some people that roll their eyes at this, but we are a partner, right? We are here as a partner, not just for this year, but our goal is to be your partner for, you know, five, 10, however long, right? I mean, yeah. you talk about, especially, you know, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are in my world, right? Customer acquisition mm-hmm. cost and lifetime mm-hmm. value are two of the most critical metrics that you track as a business. And LTV, Mm -hmm. high-value LTV, is driven by the assumption that once we sign you up, we're going to keep you. And the Mm -hmm. only way we keep you is to make sure that every time that agreement comes up for renewal, you're like, yeah, this is a no-brainer. The value value that we get is exponentially higher than the size of the check we wrote. Absolutely. That's the key, right? It's too easy to cancel now. And there's so many different options out there that value has got to be there before the renewal even comes up, or that's when they're going to push the cancel button, right? Well, yeah. And you bring up a really good point in that. And I think that is a challenge for all companies right now, because I do think there's two elements to locking down that loyalty, because you're right. It is easy. It is easy to churn. It is easy to say, you know, this is Mm -hmm. done. I'm going to go try something else. I don't see a whole lot of risk to my business to making this jump, checking this out. And if it doesn't work out, I can always come back, Mm -hmm. right? So it is, how do we deliver continuous value? But also, how do we build the relationships to a level of depth and strength where somebody doesn't want to try something different? And I'll be very transparent with you. That's been a challenge for us. You know, as a Mm -hmm. small-ish tech company, you know, a lot of employers our size over the last two years, given the supply and demand that we're seeing with job opportunities relative to skilled people to fill those jobs, we have experienced more employee churn than honestly I've ever seen throughout yeah. my career. That makes the renewal thing harder, right? Mm-hmm. Because if you're not beholden to that person or those people, because over the contract year they've turned over, you become more vulnerable. Well, I mean, Market Muse itself is a subscription company, right? Recurring revenue. And it may on one hand seem pretty obvious why that model makes sense, but you could have gone the route of saying, hey, we'll give you access to so many queries you know, per month and you can just pay until you use up those credits and or something like that. You could have taken a lot of different approaches to this. So 
why did that you know annual subscription approach make the most sense? Well, first I'll talk about why what you the option you just that you just highlighted why I don't think that makes sense. I think if you take that approach, you're commoditizing Mm -hmm. what you do and you're going back to that transaction element. You know, we're trying to build a business here that in many ways emulates, you know, what I experienced at Gartner, Mm -hmm. where, you know, we were delivering exceptional value and we were highly regarded as a great place to work. So we were able to deliver that relationship continuity and that value, which enabled us to retain business at, you know, a super high clip, let's say, you know, retention around 90% and net retention over 100%. I mean, that was a long time ago. I think it's harder to do now, you know, especially for for smaller companies facing some of the challenges that we've talked about. But if you want to grow, and this, I guess, goes back to directly answering your question. If you commoditize and transaction, make your business model go-to-market strategy based on a series of transactions, it's really hard to grow that business consistently and predictably. Mm. But if you excel at the relationships and you consistently deliver value and you can get retention up to 85, 90% while having an effective new business engine working effectively, that's yeah. how you get 50, 75, 100% year over year growth. So do you feel ever feel market pressures? I mean, are there other alternatives to market news out there that are taking a different approach? Absolutely. I mean, you know, and look, I mean, I think pressure is it's healthy. It's how you react to it. But yes, we are seeing increased pressure in our space. We were really the first, what do you want to call it, content optimization software SEO platform out there. And I mean, the good news is I'm not the only one who six years ago looked at the content space and said, wow, this is growing. This is pretty cool. There are a lot of companies, there's a lot of investment in the space. And the mm-hmm. challenge is how do you continue to improve the in-platform experience that you provide your clients to ensure their success? And how do you also enhance your functionality to improve your stickiness, to make it harder for people to walk away? Yeah. Right. So we feel like we are a leading brand in our space, but you know, we spend a lot of time thinking about what's next. Well, tell us a little bit about the plans that you guys came up with. There's three very different plans right there on your website, going from the free plan to the standard and, and the premium. Why did those plans make sense? And to be fair, there there's some big jumps between them. That's a, a great question. And I'm I'm smiling a little bit as you ask because we're going through a, you know, an evaluation of our, our go-to-market okay. and our pricing and packaging analysis right now. You know, I read a ton because I need to continue to get better at my job every day. And I used to look at pricing changes, let's say every year or so, as oh, they haven't dialed it in, they haven't gotten it right. That's not it. Things change, markets yep. change, needs change, and you need to kind of check your ego and say, yeah, this is pretty good, but how can we make it better? All yeah. right. So 
to answer your question, the way we've tiered our offering right the way it is right now is we have a free offering which provides access, metered access to what we call our applications, which can be best summarized by the functionality in our platform that is for on-page writing assistance, kind of what we talked about before. Mm-hmm. Then the next jump is to standard. And standard is access to that on-page writing functionality, but it's not metered or ring-fenced or anything. You know, get in, have at it. Differentiation between that and premium is the content plan and content strategy component. And there's two, just being completely transparent, there's two reasons Mm -hmm. for that. You know, first is that delivers differentiated value. There's really nothing out there right now that does that. That's what makes us very unique and very special. But there's also, as you might imagine, loading an entire content inventory into our platform, there are data costs, substantial data costs that we incur to Mm. do that, which preclude us from saying, hey, you can have this for $600 a month. That financial model doesn't work, right? So it's the premium offering has worked for us because large content inventory means high content creation cadence, which means the value that we can deliver. It's kind of aligned with those metrics, but it's also aligned, frankly, with our cost of goods sold for having the inventory costs. Now, what I'll share with you is that in this reprice repackaging exercise that we're going through right now, what we're excited and seriously considering doing is launching a standard version that is for teams. So if you're in a, let's say a small to mid-sized company and you don't have that big content inventory, you don't see Mm -hmm. that immediate value with the content strategy, content planning thing, we can set up access for you and your cohorts so that you don't have to all buy individual licenses. We feel like that's gotten in the way and that's the number one thing we're trying to fix. That's kind of close to what my follow-up question was gonna be. You talk about large enterprises, right? That have big teams and write a whole bunch of content. I know the price can vary a little bit here, but the value that they can get out of something like this is tremendous. It only takes like, you know, one or two deals, you know, coming in the door to have easily paid for the cost of something like this. So the value there for them is huge. But as you kind of come down market to, you know, smaller businesses and startups and things like that, they're now making a much more difficult decision on, all right, if I make this investment, you know, what's it going to take for me to bring it back? And it seems like with the three tiers, you know, there might be some that are falling in between those. Yeah. And I think that's the gap we're trying to address with the team's solution, where instead of asking them to buck up $600 a month for Mm -hmm. six or seven different people, which gets unwieldy, since we're not providing that content planning functionality, drive that price down and make it more affordable for those four, five, three, four, five person shops to be able to access market views in a way which is financially palatable to them and profitable to us. Yeah, definitely. So what's next for you guys? You know, we're continuing to look at how to extend our differentiation. I've mentioned a couple of times that we're viewed as a thought leader in, in our space. And we value 
that perception and we own it, right? Mm -hmm. We want to make sure that we're continuing to expand that functionality. Our focus for this year has been more around improving the in-platform experience of our clients. So we went through earlier this year a complete replatforming exercise to just make the platform best in class relative to stability. We just last month did a release which exponentially improved query speed. Again, enabling our clients to get in, get out, get quick to value and get their stuff done. Our big next step, and it'll be released in December. So we're not too far away now. I'm looking at the calendar. I'm like, wow, two months. Yeah, we are going to be releasing a, a complete UX redesign that is going to improve the intuitiveness of our platform. There is in our desire to do as many things for our clients as possible, we have built a platform that could be accurately judged as having complexity to it. We manage through that complexity with a rigorous onboarding process, but we're really looking to create a simplified interface that's much more intuitive and easy to use. Once we get through that, then our focus is going to be on enhancing two of our core capabilities. And this is next year. And that will be a continued improvement of the content planning or, or inventory function. And also a pretty exciting enhancement of our self-generated content briefs. So what is that last part? I'm not too familiar with that. The content briefs are something that writers just love. And you know, I'd say agencies too which is it's basically giving it's giving writers a two-page summary of exactly how to execute a specific piece of content and it does so in a way which provides them with really detailed competitive insights so we will show them for example on this particular topic these are the 20 top ranking pieces of content on this subject. We will show them in a heat map the depth of coverage for each of the critical subtopics we've identified for each of these top 20 ranking pieces of content. So right. we're highlighting for them two things. We're highlighting for them the table stakes topics that every high performing piece of content is covering comprehensively. Okay. So, you know, if you're going to compete, you need to do that too. But we're also highlighting for them other subtopics, which are important to the search engine algorithms, but which are not consistently covered in a comprehensive fashion. So Where the opportunities lie. Exactly. So you check the box on the table stakes content, you mm -hmm. then get into the other subtopics, you cover them comprehensively, and now you are placing yourself at a competitive advantage. We don't want to empower our clients to write content that's just like everybody else's. We want to give them an edge, and that's how we do it. You clearly see how that's valuable to content writers, but that sounds like very valuable information to product managers. Oh, yeah. You know, when we look at our ICP, it's content planning, content strategy, and we've talked about editors and writers, we've talked about SEO professionals, but product managers are, I mean, that insight to what's important 
mm-hmm. and can steer their efforts in a really impactful way. Yeah. I mean, that's the market insights that every product manager is looking for, right? What are the features? What's the functionality? What are the domains that my customers or potential customers are are searching for? I mean, that's gold right there. Can I bring you on one of my sales calls next week? <laughs> sure. I'll come right along. Happy to do it. All Happy right. to do it. Yeah, you're right on point. Awesome. Well, uh, well, Chuck, this has been a very fascinating conversation. For anybody that has questions about you know, what we talked about today or wants to learn more about Market Muse, where should they go? You know, please, and I know this sounds crazy, but I welcome anybody to contact me directly. Obviously, okay. you can also go up to our website. We did a, a website redesign about a year ago, and we tried to have a little fun with it. So, you <laughs> know, uh, www.marketmuse.com. Come visit us. And and yes, I, I'm sincere in saying I'd welcome, you know, anybody that, that would take the time to reach out to me directly. I'd love to like set up time. Perfect. Well, Chuck, again, thanks for the time today. Thanks for all of the insights you shared. It's very valuable to our listeners and we really appreciate it. Well, thank you. And I appreciate the opportunity today. All right. Thanks. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Subscription Scale, sponsored by Rebar Technology. If something we said today resonated with you, please subscribe, rate, and download our podcast and share this episode with your network.